Good morning, everyone. Today is July 18th, and what a wonderful day it is because it's a day that the Lord has made. I'm Pastor David, lead pastor here at 3W Church, and I just want to take a few seconds to welcome all of you that are in the building as well as all of you that are joined our online campus. It's awesome that we can get connect and get together to receive from God through these different avenues and these different platforms. I want to take a few seconds just to remind you of the importance of daily communicating with our God. We do that through reading scripture. We do that through worship. We do that through prayer. And as we grow in our daily encounters with God, he can use us to fulfill that great commission of reaching the lost, the broken, and the hurting. I want to encourage you, stay connected, plugged in, and always pursuing God so that we can be equipped to live a lifestyle of worship that'll cause change. Today, we're going to go on our fourth destination of our summer road trip. And to take us to that place, I want to welcome to the altar this morning, our brother, Alex Correa. Amen. I forgot to bring my overalls. I'm very sorry. Amen, amen. That was more I wore a jacket to hide the COVID weight. God knows we all have to lose some of that, right? No? Amen, amen. Um, for those who don't know you, uh, for those who don't know me, <clears throat> you guys hear me okay? Oh, my name is Alex Correa. I have the pleasure of being a member of this church, uh, serving in its board, and uh, it's awesome to be here and to be able to share with you. Um, and I'd like to have an opportunity um, to just open in prayer, if that's all right. Dear God, we thank you for this service. We thank you for the awesome opportunity that it is to serve you and to reflect on your word. Lord, right now, Lord, we just honor and recognize the lead pastor that you have placed in this house. We thank you for David. We thank you for Pastor Patty and Pastor David and their daughters. We thank you for their lives, for the example that you have shown us through them. We thank you, God, because it's an opportunity for them to refresh, an opportunity for us to grow and serve. I thank you, God, for every member of this church, for the worship team. Man, they took us to heaven this morning. We thank you, God, for their lives. We thank you for what they volunteer, how they practice, and what the, un the moments of the unseen, God, where they are reflecting and preparing themselves, forget about the notes, as vessels walking in holiness to be able to usher in your presence. We thank you for that dedication. For the media team, every person that is here making this happen, allowing, Lord, preparing the ground for the harvest, we thank you, Jesus, for their service. Lord, we give you this service, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak. We ask for fear to go, for problems and concerns to be cast aside, and that you are the center of our attention. Jesus, speak and be glorified in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a message that I think has some parallels to some current events or what's going on in your life and we can draw them. Uh, but before we open, I just do want to recognize, and we talked a little bit about in the, uh, in the Spanish service, um, this is not a political platform. This is, this is God's word, but there's a lot going on in our community. Um, there's a lot of calls for freedom, libertad. And I just want to just ground, and you could just join us in this prayer. Um, 
the, the word says very clearly that with the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And so as people, as a society, wherever they may be, all over Latin America, in our own country, as they yell freedom, I ask you that you just join in this prayer with me, that they're calling into existence the spirit of the Lord governing their society. Because in order to achieve that freedom, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And what we're seeing is a wrestling of flesh and blood. But let us be clear. Jesus said, I have been anointed to set the captive free. There is something deeper going on in our society. If, if you have he ears here, let God speak to you. But I just pray that with all the things that we are seeing, at least I'm joining in my faith and I'm declaring, yes, let there be freedom let the spirit of the Lord be there. Amen. Amen. Um, I feel like we couldn't, I mean, you can't live in Miami without at least, at least driving the Palmetto these days without acknowledging that. Amen. Amen. Um, I'd like to begin today um, and share with you a message that was inspired by a key question that I was asked this week. I have a fun job. Um, at least I like to say it's fun. That's why I keep me sane. Um, and the fun part about it is that I get to ask a bunch of different companies how to help them grow and become better. And typically it's very discreet, right? You know, I need to reduce wait times at a line. Um, I need to be able to reduce X dollars of cost. I need to be able to grow Y dollars of revenue. And I'll, you know, be able to calculate and do that work. But this week I got asked a very different question. An executive has all the staff in the world, huge budgets. He says, Alex, how do I get my team to plan more effectively for the future? That's a loaded question. It would presume that I had a crystal ball, right? And, he, and, I, and I ask him, like, well, you know, what's, what's behind this? And he says, my teams today are one of two things. They are either distracted because they're constantly putting out fires that are coming at them and they don't have the time to think beyond. They are just treading water, maintaining but not progressing. Or worse still, they're just stuck. They're just doing every year what they did last year and the year before that. And that may have worked for a time, but it's not applicable in the world of change that we live today. And he says, Alex, the sad part is, is that I know that if we just had the time to reflect and look back, we could actually be ready. Because the risk of being distracted and the risk of being stuck is that we're putting the company at risk. When he, his words, when the big change is happening, we won't be ready. I don't know this man is a man of faith. I, I really don't know what he does on Sundays or Monday through Saturday. But his words pierced, went straight to my heart. Because if you put on your, you know, let's put our faith goggles on. And those who have glasses, we could just put them on. He's not asking me about a business proposition. He's asking something that is a parallel to our daily life as a Christian. How do we plan strategically for the future? How do we cast, where do we put our focus? And how do we avoid being distracted? You could fill that in for yourself. Distractions, sometimes they could be what we think are good things. We're reacting to the blessings that God is giving us at all times. 
but sometimes we put the blessings ahead of God and then that becomes idolatry. And therefore you cannot be ready for that next greater thing that God has in front of you. Or distractions could be obviously bad. They could be sin in your life that is keeping you away from the thing you need to achieve. Either circumstance, it distracts you from the long range that God has prepared for you. Or, put your faith goggles on, being stuck doing the same thing over and over again because it worked last year, it's going to work this time. That's called the spirit of religion. God knows that he has not called us to have a religion. I mean, we say that word like, you know, we have a faith. But the word religion is just to do things out of routine because it's comfortable. It does not engage in thinking the new thing that God has prepared for you. So this, putting on the faith goggles, this question threw me back. Because the thing I want you to sort of recognize is that he wasn't asking for a discreet answer. The stuff I'm good at, right? Two times two, four, right? How do you get to the palmetto? Turn right, turn left, get on that. He, those are things that are easy. They're answers to a discreet question. What he was asking me for was a process. I want you guys to have that sink in. Because the two are very different. I was... Talking, use Sergio as an example. He, you know, I, I saw him. I thought of immediately of fishing. There's sort of a phrase um, that we say: "What it's if you it's it's uh, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man how to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. And then I'm, you know, cuidado, right? He might you might even start a business and start selling a bunch more fish. He's, you're not just feeding him; you're feeding an entire community. This is the difference between an answer and a process." Because the answer is giving that fish. And how many times are we guilty of, we're confronted with a problem, give me, God give me, God give me, God give me, remove, let me, this thing that's in front of me, give me, rather than the spirit of teach me how to fish. Teach me. Guide me. Mold me. Shape me. Help me improve through this circumstance. There's a reason why he's called the potter. The vase doesn't just automatically get made. It is a process, not an answer by which we are molded. It's the difference when we think about the people um, of Israel that were in the desert for 40 years. It's the difference between going in circles in the desert and finding the promised land. Those that were in the desert, I don't have any food. Bring me bread. Mana comes down. Give me, give me. I don't have any meat. Quail comes from the ground. Give me, give me. And yet they kept on going in circles, never achieving the promised land. But those that did, the two spies that went forward, if you sort of read um, in, in the Old Testament, we find that they, were, they allowed themselves to be taught to see things differently. So if we recognize that Going back to sort of the key question, how do I plan effectively for the future? I'd say it's not a given, Mr. Executive. It's not something um, that you could just receive. It's something that has to be taught. You have to be taught how to see. If you're going to ask for something, I'd ask your leaders for a vision. What is their vision? And that's a preamble to our message today. God Teach me a vision. 
I'm going to share with you my definition, and we're going to back it up with the Word of God because up to now, 10 or 15 minutes into this, you should be highly suspect of me. I've given you a bunch of examples, analogies, and conversations, and I haven't quoted you one Bible verse. So you got to hold me to the test. Because everything that comes out of this pulpit needs to be measured against the Word of God. But the definition that will back it up with the Word says, at least I would, I interpret, is a vision is an everlasting truth that inspires change that will take place in an appointed time. I'd like you to repeat that with me. An everlasting truth that inspires change that will take place at the appointed time. So I'm talking to this executive. He's like, how do I plan effectively for the future? The thing that comes to my mind, like, you know, imagine, you gotta like react, right? You know, like, you know, this guy's not gonna be like, come back in five minutes. Like, Holy Spirit speaks, vision. And I, you know, and then I don't know, you guys are fans here, but the first thing that came to my mouth that I thought I was like, it was kind of foolish. I'm like, like Disney. Huh? Fans of the Disney Corporation here, anybody? Awesome, I got two, two hands up. He got his hands up, I love it. What, if you were to ask an executive of the Disney company, what is your purpose? What is it that you do? What do you think they're going to tell you? Make money, I heard that one. Okay, that's an outcome for sure. But let's talk about the how. In many ways, yeah, make dreams come true. Spot on. If they were to answer you and say, my job is to run an amusement park, so much easier in English in that morning in Spanish. Parque de entretenimiento. Sorry. Um, if, you were to, if they were to say to you, my job is to run an amusement park, that's six flags, right? If they were to say to you, my job is to make movies or cartoons, I mean, any other company can do that. But their vision, their focus, every project that they do is in service to one purpose, where dreams come true. The interesting part of that is because out of that vision comes strategy, right? That is their everlasting truth, right? To make dreams come true. But it inspires change at appointed times. If your purpose is to run an amusement park, how great for you was that during COVID? But thank God that God is a God of new things. In this context, following the business example, like if it weren't like Disney Plus, like, through the roof, right? I mean, I don't know if your household got Disney Plus, but people were streaming content like crazy during this pandemic. They were, were dreams come true, their entire archive. It was their ability to be faithful to an eternal truth and doing a new thing in a given time. So taking that business example, I want to take this to your life and like root it in the word of God. If we can go to Proverbs 29, 18. I apologize. I have so many translations that I actually have some key verses summarized here. Also behind me, if you're reading the Sky Bible, but I'm going to be quoting um, from the NLT, and it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. King James, I believe, says, where there is no revelation, no vision for tomorrow, the people cast off restraint. There is disorder. So that is the first case in that if you want to plan effectively for the future, you need a revelation. If you want to go further, 
the consequences is not just getting cast off restraint. Hosea 4.6 says very clearly, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Mi pueblo perece por un falta de conocimiento. It's like some of those words that like, you, know, you remember verses that you memorize in Spanish first. <laughs> but the importance here is that vision is necessary not just to prosper, but for your survival. Without it, you will perish. You don't have knowledge or revelation of the future, the people will be destroyed. So I've proven to you the negative case, right? Biblically. If we go then to Habakkuk 2.2, and let's hear the positive case. Here the Lord speaking to the prophet Habakkuk says, and the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, write your everlasting truth, and make it plain upon tables or tablets, that he that reads it may run with it. I'm quoting out of the NLT here. It inspires change. It has to be so clear. It has to be an everlasting truth that he who reads it can run with it. It inspires change. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. At the end, it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. The vision that God will give you is for an appointed time. And this is the struggle. Right? So this definition that we've supported biblically, an everlasting truth that inspires change for an appointed time. Man, this is like the, it just, it's frustrating because it's basically oxymoronic, right? Everlasting truth inspires change. How is something that is forever also changing? That is the awesome God that we serve. If there's anything you take away from this message, I ask you to embrace this. You serve an unchanging God who is also in the change business. An unchanging God, a God of covenant. We were singing it this morning, man, that blessed that. I don't know if that was part of the lyrics that was improvised, but that just blessed my heart. He is the alpha and the omega. He's already seen it all. I mean, Amazon tries to be with it with their boxes, A to Z. No, no, no. God is the alpha and the omega. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. The word says, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word is everlasting. I need you, I mean, Pastor Freddie, you were saying, stop looking at the size of your problem Stop telling your God the size of your problem. Tell your problem the size of your God. I need this to become rhema in your heart. I don't know what your everlasting truth is, but I'm here to tell you that you serve an everlasting God that has made you a promise to be faithful in all circumstances. And this God that is unchanging is a God that is in the change business. Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, is God speaking, I will do a new thing, and it shall spring forth. You don't know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This God that is unchanging is saying, if it is conformed to my vision, my purpose, the plan that I have for your life and society around it, 
I will make a way where there is no way. I will change whatever circumstance needs to bend to honor God's vision. 1 Corinthians 2.9. I mean, you, literally the definition of change. I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Let I me mean, reflect on that. If you're facing a circumstance that is impossible, if you're being told that this, there is no way out, if you are feeling emotionally, physically affixated, no human has seen what God has prepared for you. No human has heard, either living today or going back to the existence from Adam, no human has heard what God has prepared for you. It has not entered into the heart of any senior executive or officiant of the White House or any empire between here and Beijing. What God has for you is a new thing, and he has it prepared for you because he loves you. Ephesians 3.20 now to him who is able to do immeasurably more that we can ask. Immeasurably more. I mean, take whatever big is in your head, and it's bigger than that. Immeasurably more that we can ask or imagine according to his power. And I want you to read that last, those last four words. That power that works in us. Works. Controversial verb these days. It's not an answer. It's a process. There is something, if you have developed a relationship with God, there is something working in you. If you are pregnant to have birth to that vision, you can attest there is something working inside of you. And you are holding true that there is that everlasting truth, no matter what it is that you are confronted by. You are going through a process. So what is this process, Alex? Because you're talking like, you know, high talk, high level. I haven't taken any, like, yeah, I get it. Amen. God is awesome. He's faithful, forever changing. Like, this is a great rally. Let's make it, let's, let's bring it home. You guys have heard of a game, Truth or Dare. We're going to play a different game, and I'm going to be your contestant, and it's called Facts versus Truth. And to me, this is the process, right? So remember, let's tie it back to Mr. Executive. Mr. Executive says, how do I plan for the future? I am distracted. I am stuck. The response is, have a vision. Root it in the word of God. What is your everlasting truth? So to be able to develop now, to go from vision to strategy, let's play this game of facts versus truth. Fact. I am not a father. Fact. I've been trying to be a father and took an exam, and then I got a cryptic phone call saying, you must see the doctor immediately. I'm like, I thought my wife was a patient. No, you are also the patient now. I, I demanded, I said, no, I must get retested. We walk in and we meet with this doctor and he is flabbergasted. Saying, why are you guys even here? Starts reading through these reports. It's like, there is no reason why you and your wife 
cannot have a child. Why are you wasting my time? I said, sir, I have no problem. I will not see you ever again. I'll, if anything, I'll, next time I see you is in the delivery room. That is what happened. What was the change? I was confronted with a fact, but I decided to reject it and stand on an everlasting truth. But that truth had to inspire some change in my life. And that change is going to happen now, and it's going to deliver something at its appointed time. But you got to find your truth. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what your circumstance is. But if Disney has where dreams come true, I have Isaiah 54 that says, Sing, O childless, for you, you who have never given birth, break into loud and joyful song. For the desolate are no more, and the children, sorry, <clears throat> and then it says very specifically, Enlarge your house, build in addition, spread your home, and spare no expense. For soon you will be bursting at the seams, and your descendants will occupy other nations. I take that to mean Westchester, Hialeah, Coral Gables, whatever it may be. But I know that God made me an everlasting truth. And, but it has to inspire change in me before it is delivered at its appointed time. I need to write down the vision. But it's not just good enough to write something down. It has to inspire action. My wife and I had a you know, cozy two-bedroom apartment. We're buying a house. In this crazy market, I know. <laughs> now we have two empty rooms. We have, in fact, well, if you add the room that we put with all the boxes, even three empty rooms. Prepare a nursery. This week I was at, passed by my mom's house. I'm like taking all these stuffed animals, saying, this is going in the nursery. Speaking in faith. We need, the, we need a, a big car and a safe car. Listen, don't get it twisted, and I don't want anybody's words in their head saying, oh, wow, Alex, you know, this is just, uh, you're just acqu acquiring things, material things. That is what God told me. I don't know what your resources are. I don't know if you're gifted in drawing. I don't know if you're gifted in planting. I don't know what it is, the resource, that God, if you're gifted in music, you write a song and dedicate it to God. My resource, my, God has gifted me with an ability to think strategically, so God gave me a vision, and I'm putting it to work with the resources that he has given me. I challenge you, if you're confronted with a problem, A, what is your vision? What is your everlasting truth that you are going to stand on? And when you stand on it, what is the change that you're going to enter to then allow yourself to wait for it? What is your truth? To sort of make this, make this sort of more relatable, you spoke to contestant number one. I'd like to introduce to you contestant number two, Joseph in the Old Testament. Everybody here sort of know the story of Joseph, Old, not, not Mary and Joseph, Joseph, but Joseph from the Old Testament. All right, I'm going to give you, for those that may, you know, may have a vague reference, uh, the quick like Netflix trailer version, like in the next chapter of Joseph. A man who was rejected by his brothers, sold out by his family, into slavery, who then becomes a prisoner, and ultimately becomes what I will call CEO, because at the time, like, countries were like businesses, CEO of the largest business in the world at that time. You want to talk about 
going through a lot and doing a lot, that's this man's life. Bible has like better stories than Hamilton on Broadway. So highly recommend Genesis 35 through 40, 35 through 50. Please enjoy. And it's much cheaper than Hamilton too. We don't have that much time, but I want to be able to sort of sow some seeds here. I asked myself a question. What is my everlasting truth? Same one I ask you. I want to ask it of Joseph. Given all that I've explained to you, I'm going to interpret that if Joseph were around today, his everlasting truth would be Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and have been called according to his purpose to his vision, all things, even the hard things. And how does he know this? Genesis 39, 2, this actually happened to Joseph. Alex, how can you draw this inference? Just Genesis 39, 2, and the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered even as he lived as a slave, parentheses, of his Egyptian master. Joseph knew that all things work together for his good no matter where he was, because he prospered wherever he was at. Whether in a jail cell or in slavery. And I'm just going to give you an aside, because it's going to be a preaching of itself. It was quite luxurious. He was, like, his, he rose to second in command. They effectively gave him the keys to a mansion. He was still a slave. You can live in luxury and be enslaved by it. I don't know if that's for anybody in this house. But whatever the circumstance that you find yourself in, God will prosper you. If you put him first. In fact, Joseph himself said it with his own words in Genesis 50, 20. This is his truth. His everlasting truth, his vision. What you intended is him talking to his brothers to harm me. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Man, this is a, this is a pregnant verse. Because it shows me that he recognized that his truth was not just about him. What God had given him allowed him to develop, but it was for the saving of many lives. I am here to tell you that the gift and the vision that God has given you, you know it is from God. It just not just prospers you, but it prospers and saves those around you. The second question I'll ask quickly is, how did Joseph live his truth? So again, what is a vision, an everlasting truth that inspires change? How did he live it? How did it inspire change in his life? Joseph had an amazing filter of what he allowed in and what he did not allow in. I mean, this guy, no matter what he faced, focused. He says, in fact, when they would tell him, man, uh, God will, you know, you'll interpret our dreams. Like, no, 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 God will interpret. Interpreting dreams is God's business. He always put God first. And this is a man that has the reason to be resentful, Walking in hate, spewing bitterness, being sold out by your family, living in a strange land where you don't know the language, being in prison because he was falsely accused. I mean, you guys remember um, he was given something that was really important to him by his father. You guys remember what that was? The coat of many colors. What does that represent? 
royalty, but specifically, exactly, given to him by his father. It was his, the favor. It was a representation of his father's favor. Ripped out from him. Imagine the thing that you hold dear, a sacred truth that is my father, or put biblically, God, Jesus loves me, and the world comes and humiliates you to actually tells you you're not worthy of any favor. Rips it from you. And he never sees another Jew or Hebrew again for the rest of like the next 20 years. He never enters a synagogue ever again. He never has the luxury of hearing an inspiring message that will change his life again. How did this man allow himself to continue forward? And it happened twice. When Joseph was falsely accused, Potiphar's wife was holding what in her hand to claim that she had been violated. The garment, a tunic, a tunic that was given to him to represent status. He was second in command, even though he was a slave. He was second in command of Potiphar's house. It was ripped from him. The world, if not his father, who gave him favor and grace, he had a status symbol that represented favor of this world, all the luxuries that this world can provide, and it was ripped from him. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you've been rejected, put away, put down. I don't know what your employer has told you. I don't know what your parents have told you. I don't know what a government has told you. I don't know what a dictatorship has told you. I'm telling you that I don't care. Fear has to go. The filter has to be put up. And I have to believe in an everlasting truth. So tying it all together, to me, that is freedom. That is the spirit of the Lord. So the deep part going into this is having this filter that casts away the facts but inspires the truth to allow change. And this is a bit of an aside, but I just had to share it. What inspired Jacob, sorry, what inspired Joseph to hold on so tightly? And what God is, in reflecting on this, has put in my heart, it was rooted in the love of his father. The power of being a parent. And I use that term loosely. It could be an uncle, an aunt, a grandparent, a mentor. The power of just influencing young people. Who was Joseph's father? Say it louder. Louder. Awesome. What does Jacob mean? Trickster. Engañador. Deceiver, liar. I mean, if you really take it to its logical conclusion, right? Like in the New Testament, Jesus calls the devil the father of the lies, like Beelzebub. Like that's a diff. I mean, if you really like wanted to connect the dots, like Jacob is effectively saying, he who does the bidding of you know not God, right? Liar, deceit. What does Israel mean? Because that's sorry, got caught before the horse there. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, right? What does Israel mean? Interesting, right? Like, we, we know the entire nation, and like we can't even say it. It says, he who contended, in Spanish, el que luchó with God. He who contended with God. If you guys remember the story of Jacob when he's confronted with the angel, he contends and he's struggling, and then finally he surrenders. Like, he is made vulnerable. He's taught at the hip. He has a limp forever, but effectively he surrenders. So in my mind, piecing this all together, what is this everlasting truth that Jacob has? Why does he hold on to it so long? It is rooted in the love of a father. I could only imagine, like, yes, my brothers may have sold me out. 
my brothers may have deceived me, but I had a really good relationship with my dad. I mean, he loved me so much. I mean, I was his favorite son. The Bible says it was because it was an older age that Jacob was able to deposit into his son. Sort of a parenthesis there. Don't wait to be old to be a good parent. Make the time because the time is transformative. But think about it. He's there reflecting on all the treason and betrayal he's received. But there's one man who loved him. And it's a man who went from a deceiver to a transformed man by God. Man, it's not in the Bible, but I will bet my bottom dollar that what got Joseph focused is saying, I am loved by a man that was transformed by God. And if God can do it for him, why can't he do it for me? That is my truth. So I submit to you that the truth that you live is not just for you. We're so focused on give me this, dame, dame, give me, give me. No, Lord, teach me not only for me, but teach me so I can be an example for the change that's going to last generations. I know we're sort of running a little late on time, but ultimately, like, what, what happened, right, in the life of Joseph, right? Like, what was the final result, right? He has this meeting with Pharaoh. He interprets some dreams, and God gives him a strategy and says, you should do X, Y, and Z. I just want to, before, I don't want to go deep into that, but I just want to abstract from that. I want to go back to where I started, dear Mr. Executive. Dear Grissel, dear Fernie, dear Pollo, how do you plan effectively for the future? You got to ask God for a vision. And this God that you're talking to, he's an unchanging God. But he's in the change business. You're going to have to be prepared to accept and find and get in the word to find your everlasting truth. And then play a game of process. Don't expect an answer overnight. Listen, I'm not saying that God is not a God of the miraculous. He can tell you whatever you need to know. But the word of God tells me that living a Christian is a daily battle. Paul said, I kept the faith. I ran my race. It was a process. He didn't call it a sprint. Find your vision. And in that, find your truth. Play out your own process of facts versus truth. And just as I found it in Isaiah 54, God is going to give you a strategy with the resources that you have to be able to see that truth come to pass. He's the same God, but be prepared for him to do new things. I've been praying, God, give me a word for 3W. And maybe this is hokey, but take it for what it is. God gave me 3Ws for 3W. And they all sound the same. Wait, wait, and wait. When you are burdened by a weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, God is calling you to stand on his everlasting truth, drive change, but in doing so, wait. Like, 
patiently wait. But while you're waiting, wait on him. What do you call the person at a restaurant who takes your order? Why do you call him a waiter? You gotta wait for food, but what does he do? What's another word for a waiter then? Server. If you've got a weight on you, wait for the food. But serve while you wait. I don't know what that means for you, but just, I don't know. But for me, service and waiting could take multiple forms. And in the life of Joseph, it was in the prison. It was as a slave. It was in a house of government. I'm not talking about in these four walls. That's awesome, doing what you're doing right here. But wherever you are, I mean, here's another everlasting truth for you. Do all things, Colossians, right? Do all things as you do them in this world. Whatever you do, whatsoever you do, do it as if unto God. So take that word, 3W. When confronted with a weight, I will wait by waiting. When confronted with a weight, I will wait by waiting on you, Lord. And it's not just for you. Man, I, we're just going to let loose a little bit. We live in a city of Miami where last night, Saturday night, was a, probably a party night. There are people drunk, hungover, overdosed, probably people who made regretful decisions with people they never met before, and 10 weeks from now are going to have to make a decision as to whether that life is going to live or not. Pray for them. The hand of God will move not just in your life, but in society's life because of your worship, your prayer. It's not about you. This spirit of give me, give me, give me. No, God, teach me. Teach me how to fish so I can not just feed myself, but I could, fit, I could feed a village. Give me a vision. Give me a Joseph vision. Give me a Genesis 50 vision that says even what they tried to do to me to hurt me was actually intended for good and not just a good that benefits me, but a good that allowed to save many lives. I encourage you today, confront the weight. And as you wait, wait on him. Let's close in prayer and worship team if you can join us. Um, you, you played some amazing worship songs. Pick whichever one you enjoy. <laughs> Just take us to the presence. Lord, we are here waiting on you. We are here to serve you. We are here to worship you. Your word says that when the people of Israel were fighting, you were doing a new thing at that time, something you had never done before. You had said, Moses, raise your hands. And then you asked for others, for Joshua and others to help raise Moses' hands. And it says that when Moses' hands, and if you guys, this is Exodus chapter 17. When Moses raised his hand, the Israelites were winning. And then when Moses would let his arms come down, the Israelites were losing. Right now, you are, we are living a battle, whether in Cuba or in Miami. There is a fight that is happening that is not against flesh and blood, but is against powers and principalities of this age. Repression is being confronted by freedom, and we have to raise our hands. And as our pastors on sabbatical, listen, you, me, Fernie, whoever's got to be, we got to raise Moses' hands because the battle is of the Lord's. The battle's not David's. The battle's not Patties, they are here to 
guide us, but it is our responsibility. Where are the leaders, I'm asked by an executive, to plan effectively for the future? They are here with a vision and a strategy to confront and waiting for it. Mm. Guys, I'm sorry I get so excited. But God be glorified. I pray for my house. I pray for my city. As I am blessed, my city will be blessed. My church will be blessed. My community will be blessed. Let us worship.